Amen. Our scripture reading this evening will come once again from the book of Hebrews and chapter 1. This will be our final message from the first chapter of Hebrews. As we have been considering in recent weeks and months, the absolute supremacy of Christ over all else and the sufficiency of Christ as the great high priest for our salvation. So we come tonight to consider that last great evidence that's given in chapter 1 for the glory and splendor and majesty of Christ, that he has been given a more excellent name than they, speaking of the angels. Our focus will be on verse 4 and following this evening, but for the context, we'll read once again the whole chapter. Give your attention to this, the infallible and inerrant word of God. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits? and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we do thank you and praise you for giving us this, your holy word, for speaking to us in times past through the prophets and in these last days through your Son. We are your servants. We are listening. O Lord our God, speak to us tonight by your word and spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. After Jesus Christ sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, the scripture tells us in verse 4, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. This evening we are called to consider the name of the Son of God. And we are called to it with this question tonight. Who 
is Jesus? The answer one gives to this question has eternal consequences. Muslims would consider Jesus a prophet. Buddhists would consider Jesus a teacher. Jehovah's Witnesses consider Jesus a created being, like you and me, but born first. The Romans of old thought he was a religious zealot. Secularists consider Jesus to be maybe something of a myth or a historic figure that has too lofty attention placed upon him. Whatever the case, whatever world religion we are considering, the world does not believe that Jesus Christ is Son, God, and Lord, as he's revealed to us in Hebrews chapter 1 tonight. But surely, if that's the world, the case must be different in the church among evangelicals. There was a survey done. It was called the State of Theology Survey, and it was done last year. And it found that among a survey of many thousands of evangelicals, 43% responded that they believed Jesus was a great teacher, but that he was not God. 43% of evangelicals in that one survey. A great problem in the church and in the world that it does not know the Jesus Christ of Scripture. It seems in some places the church has a form of godliness, but it is forgot or denied the power of God in Jesus Christ. Perhaps it has done that because it no longer teaches what Jesus taught, even of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness. It no longer proclaims what Jesus came to do, to save sinners from their sins. A Jesus is preached in the place of the Jesus of Scripture, who is a mere teacher, a mere friend, a listener, something like a therapist, and nothing more. Nevertheless, though the world may deny it, the Scripture stands firm. The word of the Lord tonight is as true as it was when it was written some and finished some almost 2,000 years ago. It is the word of God, revealing light in a dark and dying place. It is hope for the hopeless. It is life for the sinner on his way to death, because in it the eternal riches of Jesus Christ are revealed to us. And they are revealed to us, perhaps in this place, most glorious than all else, in the name of the Son of God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Tonight, Jesus makes himself known to us, or maybe more accurately from Hebrews chapter 1, God makes Jesus known to us in power tonight by revealing to us his glorious name. That name that is more excellent than the name of the angels. Who is Jesus? Jesus asked his disciples this in Matthew 16. And in verse 16, Peter responded, and he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is our first heading this evening as it comes to us first in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 5, that Jesus is the Son. That's his first name. That's how God revealed the Son to us in the opening verses of this chapter. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past by the fathers to the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. 
There is how Jesus was introduced to us in Hebrews, and that name comes first as the more excellent name than the angels. Jesus is the Son of God. That is how it began. This is the message of the Scripture, that the Son is a better messenger than the angels. He's a better mediator than those high priests, because he does not come pointing men to salvation, but he comes as salvation for men. He doesn't come telling them of the sacrifice. He is the very sacrifice for sin. He has by himself purged our sins. And then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The Son is better than all else. And his name is better than all else because of who he is. That's why he's given that title that we spent some time on in weeks past, the heir of all things. He's greater than all else because he's created all things. He upholds the the earth by his hands. He's the brightness of his Father's glory, the express image of his person, because he is the Son of God. What is in this name the Son? Well, you remember last week that, or last time that we considered Hebrews, we said that the infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself. So after laying out this great declaration that the Son has a greater name than all else, immediately God brings us to numerous scriptures to demonstrate this to us. Many of them from the Psalms, not all of them, but he brings us right away to verse 5 to prove this, that the Son is a more excellent name than they. Here's the first proof, asking a question, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my Son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. What is it that makes the son so much better than the angels? He is the only begotten son. He's the begotten son. The only begotten son. Not merely the son. Many, many men have the title son. In fact, every man is the son of somebody else. But there is only one who is the only begotten Son of God, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought not to skip this word begotten. It's brought here to bring emphasis to the very character and nature, if we can say, of Jesus Christ. It's a word that is essential to understanding who the Son is. It means this, that he's of the same substance with the Father. It's not a reference to something or someone created. Like we might use sun today. I might talk about the four sons that God has given me. God has created those sons. That is not what is in mind with the Son of God. He is the begotten Son. It's in relation to the Son's unique and and only relationship to the Father. That he is the only begotten son. He is the only one that is related to the Father in this way. Therefore, he is the begotten son. So the creeds that we confess, they say this, of believing in Jesus Christ, he is begotten, not made. This is the contrast. This is why begotten is brought out. Lest we fall for the snares of the cults that are all around us and the false religions that would come and teach us that they would say lofty things about the name of Jesus and all the while they're doing it, they are denying that he is eternal God come in the flesh. They're denying that he is one with the Father, that he is before the foundation of the world. They say he is created, not eternal. Oh, but God brings us to this Glorious word, begotten. He is the only Son who shares the same nature with the Father. 
a unique relationship between Jesus the Son and God the Father. There is no other relationship like that. He is the only begotten Son. That most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, we're told by God, even by Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The begotten Son. It's a great tragedy, I think, that many modern translations of Scripture are removing the word begotten from the pages of Scripture because they think it's too confusing for modern readers to understand. So many versions of John 3.16 don't even have the word begotten, leaving and exposing Christians to the lies of the cults that would come with that verse and say, yes, the Son, that's what we believe, just like your Son, so Jesus is the Son of God by creation. God forbid. That is anathema. Jesus is not the Son of God by creation. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, the only one in that unique relationship to the Father, so that Jesus can say, I and my Father are one. No one else can say that. No other man, certainly no other angel, but Jesus can say, I and my Father are one. The Lord takes us even further in this great name because he shows us what it is that the angels, whom Jesus has a greater name than, he shows us what they're doing. They're worshiping him. The angels are worshiping him. They're going about ministering his glory and his name to those that will inherit salvation. We'll see that in the coming weeks in future chapters about exactly how they do it. But many Christians, they tend to look at the Son and they face these challenges of the cults, denying that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, one with the Father, full of grace and truth. And they seek to argue by inference. What do I mean by that? Well, they look at what the Son receives in Scripture. He receives the worship of angels, and many Christians will say, and they'll say rightly, that who can receive worship but God alone? Therefore, because Jesus receives worship, then Jesus must be God. He must be deity. And they're right on that point. Only God can receive worship. But then they'll say, well, look, look at what Jesus does. He does miracles. Who can calm storms? Who can feed 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes? Who can raise the dead? None but God alone. Therefore, Jesus is God. And they're right on that. Only God can do miracles. Only God speaks to the creation that he made, and it listens. We can look at the miracles. We can look at the worship. And yes, we can say, by inference, these things are declaring truthfully that Jesus is God. But the text of Scripture goes further than inference. The text of Scripture goes and proclaims the deity of Christ by title and by name. By title and by name. Who can receive worship but God only? There is none else. But let me tell you that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh, because that's the text of Scripture for us. Look at our second heading then, that the Son is God. First is that the Son is the only begotten Son of God, begotten, not made. But second is to go further, the Son who is begotten is God. Or let me put it even more clearly, Jesus is God. Little, if any, contention will come about if you go and talk to folks that are lost in the cults and tell them that you believe Jesus is the Son of God. Many will agree with you. 
uh, certainly all the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, the millions of them, will agree with you. But tell them that you believe that Jesus is God the Son. And now, look at the battle that you have on your hands. But we need to understand as we're reading this, before we see the great statement that is made of the Son in verse 8, remember who is speaking in this chapter. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past by the prophets to the fathers, has in these last days spoken to us through his Son. God is speaking concerning his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. God is speaking. This is the Word of God. God is speaking. And it is God that said, for to which of the angels did he ever say? He is God the Father. It's God the Father speaking concerning God the Son. All the verses, 5 through 14, are from God speaking concerning the Son, who has a more excellent name than the angels. That must be kept in mind as we consider these verses. God is speaking. Look at what he says in verse 8. First we have that he is the Son. Now we go further concerning the Son. But to the Son he says. Another way we can understand that is, but to the Son of God, God the Father says. And what does God the Father say concerning the Son? Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Did you hear that? God the Father, speaking of God the Son, says, Your throne, O God. God the Father is giving the title to the Son, God. From Isaiah 45 and verse 6, Elohim in the Hebrew, God. The Father titles the Son, God. Not some church long ago, the Father. God the Father in heaven, he says, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. This is the same thing we see in the rest of Scripture, isn't it? In the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in the 14th verse, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, full of grace and truth. It's the same thing that was said in the prophets concerning the Son, that great passage that we sometimes incorrectly limit to Christmas time that should be on our minds always, Isaiah 9 and verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and yet, with such clear statements given to us in the Scripture concerning the Son, that He is God, 43% of evangelicals deny the reality that the Son of God is God the Son. The Jehovah's Witnesses are so scared of those opening verses of John, they have changed them altogether in their New World translation. By inheritance, by His name, by His nature, By his place and standing, Jesus has obtained a more excellent name than the angels. He is the begotten Son of God. He is God the Son. And then, brothers and sisters, if we can put it this way once again, as has happened so often in chapter 1, the Lord takes it yet to a greater level. The name goes higher, if we can put it that way. Jesus Christ is the Son. Jesus Christ is God. And then in verse 10, quoting from Psalm 102, the Lord God gives this name 
to the Son. He gives him the title Lord. That is Jehovah, Yahweh. Verse 10, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment. You, Lord, in the beginning. Now, we could look at this word Lord here and say, how can you say that's Yahweh? I don't see my letters capitalized there. Well, this is the Greek word. Yahweh is a Hebrew word, but he is quoting there from Psalm 102. And that whole Psalm 102 that we sung a few minutes ago, Psalm 102, is a psalm that is calling out to the Lord. And in Psalm 102 and verse 1, the psalmist cries out, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. And if you have a copy of that scripture in front of you, Lord is capitalized to let you know that it's the Hebrew word Yahweh, Jehovah. This is the covenant name of God. This is that most glorious name of God. The way that he revealed himself to his special people. Jehovah, Yahweh, or as he says at the burning bush, I am that I am. This is the name now that God the Father applies to God the Son. That Jesus Christ is not only Son, not only God, he is those, but he is Lord Jehovah, the I am that I am. Explicit reference by God to the Son as Jehovah. Do we think of the Son in that way? Do we think of the Son as the one who is secondary to the Father or one equal with the Father, the same in power and glory with the Father, so that to behold the Son, as Jesus said even to his disciples on the night he would be betrayed, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father also. The Son is given this title, Lord. Jehovah. There are many implications of this more excellent name, but perhaps we can think of a few for edification tonight, and I trust there are many more. But consider that great confession that the Lord calls all the world to make. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Do you note the, the qualification that's made here, as is always the case in the Scripture concerning Jesus? It's not a confession that God requires, or a belief that God requires in an idea of Jesus, or in any person that is named Jesus. But it's a specific man. It's the specific Jesus of Scripture, the one who was from all eternity, who in the fullness of time took on flesh, born of the virgin, and came forth to save sinners from their sins, and he did it. It's that Jesus. But look at the word that comes before Jesus. It's not if you confess with your mouth Jesus and believe in your heart. If you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you confess the Lord Jesus, if you confess that this Jesus is the I am that I am, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is a very specific Jesus. We must confess the true Christ or we have no confession at all. Worse than that, we'd have a false confession. We must confess the Jesus Christ of Scripture who is Son, God, and Lord. And we must believe that God has raised him from the dead in the flesh. Most cults deny both these things. The Jehovah's Witnesses use the very name Jehovah in their name, and yet they deny the Jehovah of Scripture. 
How deceitful and cunning is the devil who would lead so many astray using that most powerful of all names even to deceive. Let us pray tonight that God would destroy that synagogue of Satan and that he would bring those seven million Jehovah's Witnesses out from that false religion and bring them into the true faith that they might know the true Christ and worship and bow down before him. No one can make this confession of Christ as Lord except it be given to him by the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 12.3. Those that are outside of Christ, they would rather stone him than confess the Lord God Almighty. But what does Scripture say? As Peter preached on that Pentecost long ago in Jerusalem, and I'll note, as you may already know, that it turns out in God's good providence that this is somewhere around the 1,990th anniversary of Pentecost, which took place 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. That falls on us today. And in that first Pentecost, Peter was preaching. And as Peter was preaching with tongues, which simply meant then that everybody there could understand and hear in their own language, God made it clear to those that were foreigners and far off, Peter preached the gospel. And what happened? The people asked what they must do. And Peter told them, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The name of the Lord, whoever calls on the name of Jehovah, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord who is with his people, the Lord who is all sovereign, who is contained all in and of himself, who needs not anything else or anyone else, but is complete in and of himself, that Lord, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jehovah, the I am that I am, he will be saved. It's still the message 2,000 years later, isn't it? That whoever would call on the name of the Lord Jesus, this Lord of Scripture, they shall be saved. Jesus said in John 8, verse 58, Before Abraham was, I am. He gave himself that great title of Jehovah, the preexistent sovereign God that was revealed to Moses long ago in the bush. And that was the turning point of his ministry, wasn't it? Because it went from that point when the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, and the rulers of the people, they were questioning Jesus, they challenged Jesus, they mocked Jesus. At that point in John, now they hate Jesus and they want to kill Jesus. Why? Why was it that they wanted to kill him? Was it not because he made himself equal to Jehovah? He gave himself that name that is above every name, the great I Am. Jesus said to them in John chapter 10, for which of my good works... Do you seek to kill me? Do you remember what the response was of the Jews? They said in John 10, verse 33, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. The Jews understood there that day exactly what Jesus was saying. That he, in fact, is Jehovah God come in the flesh, and they did not believe it, and went about to kill him. And of course, in time, they did kill him, because he made himself out to be equal with God, and they would not believe in Jesus, who is God in the flesh. And yet this is the very message of Christ from beginning to end of his ministry, that he is God, he is Lord. But how many refused to believe, and so they crucified Christ But he who laid down his life 
had power to raise it up again. God raised him from the dead, did he not? And so the one that they denied, he is the one that they saw, many of them saw, after he had been killed. They saw him in his power and glory in heaven, even as Saul, who went around persecuting Christians. He was one whom God shined the light of his glory on as a man out of time and appointed him to be apostle of the Gentiles and to write much of the scripture because he came face to face, not with the Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus, but with the true and the living Jesus who seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. That is Jesus, the Son, who has a greater name than all the angels. Son, God, Lord. How many will be there at the day of the Lord when the Lord Jesus Christ returns from glory? Many will be there who confess Jesus, but confessed another Jesus than the one of Scripture. They will cry out to the Lord at that day, Lord, Lord, did not I cast out devils in your name? Did not I do great works in your name? And the Lord will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. And what he's telling them as well is, you never really knew me. Oh, you used my name and you used it falsely. You used my name and you blasphemed. You must confess the true Jesus of Scripture. It's him and him alone who has the name that is more excellent than all other names and certainly more excellent than the angels. How many will be surprised at that day when they know not him who appears and he knows not them? And so the question today is, do you know Jesus Christ the Lord? Do you believe in him alone to deliver you from the fire of hell that now burns hot and is filled with flames and will never go out? There is no other name under heaven or in earth by which men and women, boys and girls, might be saved but by the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. We are to believe in him. He is Lord and God, and there is none else. If someone were to hear this and to take Jesus as a mere teacher, they will continue in darkness. One day, Rahab, the harlot of Jericho, will stand with the Lord at that great day of judgment and bear witness against those that believe Jesus Christ as a mere teacher. Because she who was far off from Israel heard of the great glory that he had done, how he had conquered the the Egyptians at the Red Sea, and she trusted in the Lord, and she will testify against those that claim him only as a teacher. Take him as a creature, a created being, even the first created being, and that doubter Thomas who said, I will not believe unless I see his hands in his side. He will testify against them at that great day because he confessed when he saw Jesus, my Lord and my God. Take him as a myth and be prepared and warned. You will see him face to face, whom today you don't believe. But on that day, Cornelius, a Roman centurion, will testify against you that indeed Jesus Christ is Lord. But take him as he truly is, the only begotten Son of God, God the Son, Elohim, the Lord Jesus Christ, Yahweh. I am that I am. And when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, those that are resting in him, trusting in him, will look up and behold and see their Savior appearing on the clouds and all the saints rising up to meet him. It will be the day of joy and bliss. And he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servants, enter thou into my rest. Christ Jesus 
is revealed in his fullness in this first chapter of Hebrews, that we might know him and the power of his salvation and the glory and majesty of his most holy name. He calls us then, even as Christians tonight, to bow down before him, to worship and adore him. It's what the angels do in heaven. It's what we should be doing on earth until we do it in heaven. We must bow down in humility before him. We must bow down in repentance before him. We must submit ourselves in faith to him. For God has spoken through his Son, who is both God and Lord in these last days. But take one further picture with you. The Lord has said that he is God and there is no other. Those that will not bow down before the Lord tonight, those that do not bow down before the Lord and worship him before the day of their death, Paul in the book of Philippians tells us what will happen when the Lord appears. They will bow. They will confess. But it will be to their own judgment. Listen to what the Lord says in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, because he was God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Every person that ever lived, they will bow down and confess on that day that Jesus Christ, not a created man, but he's Lord, begotten Son, God the Son, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the beginning, the end, the Alpha, the Omega, the mighty God. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. The Lord God has spoken to us. Will we then Listen to him. That's going to be the application of this immediately in chapter 2. Looking at the majesty and the grandeur of Jesus Christ, will we then listen to him who speaks to us the very word of God in these last days? He is God himself. He speaks in these last days. He has already purged the sins of his people. He's ruling. He's reigning. He's coming quickly. When this gospel of Jesus was preached 2,000 years ago at Pentecost, The people were cut to the heart. Peter told them what they must do to believe. And how many turned to the Lord Jesus that very day? 3,000. 3,000 souls. 30 times the Christians that were gathered in that upper room on that first Pentecost praying. The church grew 30 times as Christ Jesus, Son, God, Lord, Savior was proclaimed. Will we not see that again in our day? Oh, we should pray for it. That at the name of Jesus, as it's proclaimed today, truthfully, that every knee would bow now while it's still the hour of salvation. That every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They will surely do it one day. Let this be the day that it is done in submission to the God of Israel and our God. The question before you then at the end, just as at the beginning, who is Jesus? 
Have you heard who he is tonight from his word? And do you believe him as he is revealed in his scripture that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, that he is God the Son, and that he is Lord Jehovah? Behold your God, and if you believe in him, listen to him, serve him with all that's in you, until that day when with all the saints gathered before the throne, you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we delight ourselves in you, that you have in the fullness of time come to sinful men such as us, and that you have made yourself known in such a glorious way, yes, by your works, yes, by the worship that is rightly given to you, and by your great name. There is no other name higher. There is no other greater name. And so, O Lord, we call out to that greatest of all, even Jesus Christ, our Lord, asking that you would sanctify us, your people, that you would cause us to die to sin tonight, that we might put on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might not do the deeds of the flesh anymore, that they'd have nothing for us, that Christ would be our all in all, that our boast tonight would be in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, that our glory would be in the Lord. And we ask that you would guide us, keep us, bless us, until we shall see you face to face, even as we have seen you truthfully in this, your holy word. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.